Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Would you please turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 87? Now, ever since I was 18, I've, I've lived in places that I wasn't born in, whether that's been other parts of England like Yorkshire or London or for the last few years up here uh, in Scotland. And uh, don't take this the wrong way, but there's something strange about not being born, uh, sorry, about not being native born. However much you, you, you fit in and spend time in a place, you're just never quite one of the locals. My uncle and aunt, they're born in uh, the UK, have now lived in Argentina longer than they lived anywhere else, but they'll always kind of not be Argentinian. And perhaps you've experienced the same, because being born in a place has a weirdly profound impact on us, doesn't it? There's something about the place of birth that, that sinks deep. And this evening, we're going to see that it's not just true of our physical birth, but it's also deeply true spiritually. And once we understand our true spiritual birthplace, then it has a significant impact on us. It it impacts our own personal identity. It also deeply changes how we look at ourselves uh, and each other as the church. So listen in. This is a beautiful and short psalm with some profound surprises along the way. As I said earlier, we've been following the Psalms of the sons of Korah. These guys who just love to sing of God's city and his temple. Now, a while back, we were looking at the Psalms in the 40s, if you remember. We looked at Psalms 42 to 49. And now we're in uh, the 80s of the Psalms. Now, it's important to say, although the Psalms do stand uh, alone as songs, they do also fit together. The book of Psalms as a whole has been edited. It's been put together in a certain way. And here, uh, we're in what's called book three. Now, that covers Psalm 73 uh, to 89. And there are lots of Psalms that, that hint at or talk about the exile or an exile experience when Judah was carried off into Babylon. Now, that doesn't mean all our Psalms were written then. It just means that their themes hint at or speak of it directly. Perhaps you noticed in the last two Psalms we looked at, Psalm 84, it it spoke about longing to be back in the, the, tor- uh, the, the courts of God's temple. They weren't there, but they wanted to be. It's an ex- kind of an exile experience. And Psalm 85 that we looked at last week was, was poured out from this feeling that things weren't as they should be. They were facing God's anger again. Again, it's got that exile feel to it. And that means as we come to Psalm 87, we need to get the kind of jarring nature of the psalm. Because it speaks of glorious things about God's holy city, Zion or Jerusalem. But Jerusalem at that time would have been anything but glorious. Its walls would have been decimated. The temple would have needed rebuilding. Its people were scattered, slowly coming back. But as they see all that's wrong, the people of God start to sing. They start to sing in faith, not of what they see, Do you notice it's glorious things of you are spoken. They start to sing of what's spoken, what's promised, even if they can't see it. What they sing is this. God is building his church, 
his way. On verse 1, just verse 1, on the holy mountain stands the city he founded. God founded this city. That he established it. He secured it. He made it his own. And then right in the center of the psalm, verse 5, the Most High himself will establish her, is establishing her. And we need to remember when the Bible talks about Zion, yes, it's talking about a city, but the city is a picture of God's people. The city is the people and the people are the city. God has founded and is establishing his people, his church. And Zion is especially speaking of what his people will be like in the end. As they look at the sad situation around them, they're singing of what will become, what will be when the Lord puts everything right. And God, he's he's building his church and he's building it in love, verse 2. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. God, God loves the true place where he dwells so much. His city, his temple, his people. That's where his love is directed. Like a a faithful husband, his eyes are on no other, just on his bride. God is at work. God is building his church. But he's building it his way. He's building it his way. This psalm doesn't follow as we'd expect. It comes out with two massive shocks, two surprises, two huge truths of what God's way means. The first shock is who he includes in his church, and the second shock is how he does it. So let's just look at this first shock. Who? Who? Well, it's the gloriously unexpected. The gloriously unexpected. Verse 4, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. Here are the gloriously unexpected. The psalm doesn't sing of the tribes of Israel, as you might expect. You you know, we could expect, among those who know me, I mention Judah and Dan, Naphtali and Gad. Instead, it's the opposite. First, it's the big enemies of God's people. Now, Rahab, that's not talking about the woman who was saved in Jericho. No, it's a a nickname based on an ancient story of a dragon-like chaos monster. And it was a nickname that was used for the great foe of Egypt. So here we've got Egypt and Babylon. One of them enslaved Israel and then continued to attack her from the south. The other, who marched into Israel, then destroying Jerusalem and carted off many into exile. And then we get Philistia and Tyre, two local enemies, or as one commentator put it, two local irritants. They're constantly kind of attacking and rampaging and pillaging and then going back again. And then finally Cush. Perhaps referring to the upper Nile uh, region, Ethiopia kind of area. It's a lot further away. A powerful enemy, yes, uh, but also a distant one. So rather than naming the friends of Israel, God says, Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This is like walking into a, a party at Buckingham Palace to find all our enemies are there. Nazis, Islamic extremists, Al-Qaeda, all, all sipping on Her Majesty's finest champagne, all welcomed at the party. You know, what, what, what are they doing here? But once we get over the shock, perhaps we have a glass of champagne ourselves, we, we, we need to look around and see what God is up to. Because rather than defeat or treachery, this is a moment of victory. God defeats his his enemies in two ways throughout Scripture. One is through justice. 
bringing vengeance on his enemies, exacting justice on those who've rebelled against him. But there's also a second way. And that way is through grace. It's through forgiveness, brought by the death of his son. And here we're seeing that second way. Verse 4 lists these nations and then, this, and then says, this one was born there. Now, where's there? Well, it's in the city that's being spoken of. It's in Zion. It's in God's city. God is, is bringing his own enemies into his own city. It's his own dwelling place. These are enemies that now know him. God is building his church. And who are they? It's the gloriously unexpected. And this has always been God's plan, right from his promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. God promised in Abraham that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see it in the prophets as well, with Isaiah prophesying, all the nations will flow to God's house. Now, for the Jews singing this psalm, they had to wait to see this. They saw nations come and go, but rarely did they see the nations joining them. But then came Jesus Christ. A man who reached out to his own people, yes, but also to the Gentiles. Then as he died, if you remember uh, our time in Ephesians, his death got rid of all the ceremonial laws of food and clothes and also the sacrificial laws that divided Jew from Gentile. And then when he sent his Holy Spirit on the church, what did we see? We saw the nations becoming believers, part of God's people. Not only Jews, but Egyptians and Romans were hearing the gospel. An Ethiopian, someone as far away as Cush, was coming to know Christ. And then, if you think the archetypal enemy was saved, Saul, the persecutor of the church, the one who oversaw Stephen being stoned, who was zealous to rid the world of Christianity, and yet God even said of him, he knows me. God's building his church his way, and so it includes the gloriously unexpected. God saves persecutors of the church. He saves the indifferent. He saves those who've bullied Christians, those who are the worst sinners in the world's eyes. He saves the distant and the foreign, the Communist Party loyalist, the antagonistic atheist, the Taliban leader. And do you know what, Christian? He even saves you And he even saves me. Do you know your baptism shows the extraordinary grace of God? Because do you know what? It shows there's an old you. A you that was an enemy of God. Hostile to him. Worshipping false gods. as a, a, A you that was born in Adam. How does it show that? Because your baptism shows that old you was washed away. Washed away in Christ, you died to it. Even if you're baptized as a baby, never knew, and you've never known a day without uh, Christ growing up in a Christian home. I'll praise God for that. But even if that's you, there's an old part to you. You still inherited a fallen nature from your parents. Sin still clung on. We were God's enemies. And yet God's grace even came to us to Egypt and to Babylon, to Philistia and Tyre. Praise God for his mercy to us. We are unworthy to be called his people. We're unworthy to have God say over us, among those who know me, I mention, and then he names us. The gloriously unexpected even extends to us. But the gloriously unexpected also means there's an amazing variety within God's people, isn't there? 
In the psalm, he lists five different nations. And in verse 5, you get this vision of someone looking around and seeing the variety. And of Zion, it should be said, this one and, and that one were born in her. That this one and that one and, and that one over there and another one over there. Different types, uh, different nationalities. Everyone, perhaps you wouldn't expect, from, from Bolivians to Belarusians, the rich and the poor, people with light skin, people with dark skin. I recently heard of one church minister who's, who's worked in two polar opposites in England. One of the roughest estates in Liverpool and one of the poshest parts of London. And that's the variety we're going to see in God's kingdom. God hasn't got a certain kind of person he particularly likes. He doesn't have a clique or an inner ring. There's no, no such thing as, the, as not the right kind of person to be a Christian. If you've ever thought that, don't you believe it? Listen to John's vision of God's people before the throne of heaven. He says, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. There's no right kind of person. God's building his church and he saves the gloriously unexpected. Well, perhaps rather than the right kind of person, you... You actually look at your own past and think, it's too bad actually, God could never love me. You don't know my past. Well, just look back to verse 4. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. These nations did horrific things to people, massacring, trafficking, raping, pillaging, and yet God was willing. More than that, God Love to shower his grace on sinners and bring them in. Remember the Apostle Paul who persecuted God's people. He oversaw the stoning of an innocent man. And yet God was gracious even to him. Whatever your past, God invites you this evening. His love is so great, he even sent his son to die on a cross for the sins of his enemies so they might know him. If you want to know God himself, then seek his forgiveness and his love this evening. If that's you, come and chat to me afterwards if you want to talk about it more. I'd love to chat with you. God is building his church his way. And that's the first surprise. It's the who. It's the gloriously unexpected. But the second surprise is how. Uh, I've struggled with wording this, but it's, the, it's gloriously fully. It's gloriously fully. That's the second surprise. God doesn't mess around here. It's not a half-hearted sort of get his enemies to kind of be part of his people. No, he does it fully, gloriously fully. And it's all about where we are born. Verse 4, among those who know me, I mention Rahab, Babylon, uh, behold Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there. They say, this one was born there. That is, this one was born in Zion. Verse 5 makes that clear. And of Zion, it should be said, this one and that one were born in her. It just needs to be repeated, doesn't it? Verse 6, the Lord records as he registers the people, this one was born there. God is issuing new birth certificates. New birth certificates with a new place. As if people were saying, well, I was born in Cush, but I've been born again in Zion. I was born in Egypt, but I've been born again in Zion. Now, this psalm puts it in terms of, of nations. We've got to remember the picture is deeper than that. 
It's not just about changing your national identity. It's about a change of your spiritual identity. Remember Rahab and Babylon, who are they? They're enemies of God's people. So enemies of God himself. To be born in Zion, well, that's to have a more fundamental status changed. Zion is God's city. It's where he and his people will finally dwell forever together. It's a place that symbolizes God restored to his people. So to be born in Zion. Well, that's a change from enemy of God's to friend of God's. From being on the, the military wanted list to being on the royal honors list. To being outside the church to being part of the church. But why birth? Why does the psalmist use that as an image? Well, it's it's because with birth, you get full access to all the privileges. God does it fully. And in some parts of the world today, if you're, if you're born there, you have access to all the privileges of the country. And if you're born in the USA, whether your, your parents were citizens or not, you are a full member of the USA. And with that comes all the country's protection and care. And it's actually only those who are born in the USA who can become president. If it's on your birth certificate, then you have full access to all the privileges. So to say of people, this one was born in Zion. Now that is massive. It's much better than the USA. They're saying it's a total welcome. God does it fully. There is no second, uh, sorry, no different gradings in God's people. There's no first-class and second-class citizens. No group who have higher access to God and some with lower. Why? Because on everyone's birth certificate, it says, born in Zion. This is God's plan. This is God's gracious and total wonderful way of doing things. And it's not a job delegated to some low-level admin staff. Did you notice in verse 6? It's the Lord who records as he registers the peoples. It's God in himself Uh, in a sense, is sat at the registry office at his desk. He looks at you and smiles, writes your name, and then stamps it with a a seal, born in Zion. God is building his church, and he does it gloriously fully. How can this be? How do we get this type of citizenship? Since, as we saw before, we were enemies. Well, it's all grounded in Christ's work. Is Christ's work by his spirit. Jesus uses a very similar metaphor when he's talking to Nicodemus. If you remember in John chapter 3, Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus then says being born again is being born of the spirit. So this isn't going back into your mother's womb, as Nicodemus had to find out. It's spiritual rebirth. It's the the Spirit of God taking what was dead in us and making it alive. He's taking our hearts that have been killed by our sin and starting them up again. But not to be the same. Not to be born as enemies of God. No, it's, it's a birth of Zion. It's God's city. He puts a new home in our hearts. His place. The place we're going to be with him forever. The Spirit unites us to the King of Zion, Jesus Christ, the one who lives and reigns in the heavenly Jerusalem. Because he is there, we are born in Zion. That's why Paul says we have citizenship in heaven. Because Christ is in heaven and we have been born again by his Spirit. Once we were born in Adam, once we were born in in Cush, Rahab and Babylon, born of the dust, born of this world, born in our sin, enemies of God. But now we're in Christ. 
we can say, yes, I was born in the world, but I was born again in Zion. My citizenship is in heaven where Christ is. And the psalm emphasizes this is in writing. It's official. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a whim of God. If it's on your birth certificate, then Zion is yours. If you're trusting Jesus Christ for forgiveness and following him home, then this is yours. You're a citizen of Zion. God does this gloriously fully. Now this changes how we think about ourselves. Firstly, since, since God does things, does things fully, we've, we've got to recognize it changes our fundamental spiritual reality. We're not kind of in Adam and kind of in Christ. We're not kind of an enemy, kind of saved. If you're following Jesus Christ, then you are a full citizen of heaven. And if that's so, then let's be people who live like it. May that place focus our hearts and our minds, because God has made us full citizens. Let Zion, God's heavenly city, capture your imagination. That you might long to be there with Jesus. May it be the home of your heart, the place you want to finally get to. Not long ago, I watched a, a documentary about an, an Inuit, a native of northern Canada, who had been born high up in the Arctic. But her family had been forcibly moved when she was a child, moved to southern Canada, and then her family moved all the way to, the, to Denmark. But the, the documentary followed her seeking to get back to her roots, to find her, her birthplace, to find who she was because of where she was born. That birthplace defined her life and how she was going to live it. We were born again in Zion. That is who we are. May it define our lives. But secondly, what what does that mean for our other normal earthly identities? Not just our spiritual ones, but things like our sex or ethnicity or nationality. Well, being a citizen of heaven does not erase those identities. You know, even though our citizenship is in heaven, even though our home is where Christ is, we're still here on earth. You know, yes, we're one in Christ, as Paul says, but he still acknowledged his Roman citizenship. He still spoke to husbands as husbands and wives as wives. He, he still had become like a Jew to win the Jews. So we're not people who are, are colorblind or ignorant of privilege or, or racism or sexism. But those identities, they rest under our new birth. They make us who we are, but they don't define who we are. You are a, a, a Scottish Christian, not a Christian Scot. Because fundamentally we're in Christ. We're, we're united as one people, fully born in Zion. Yes, those differences exist, but they don't divide us anymore. In Jesus, we've been brought together. God is building his church his way, and he does it gloriously, fully. Now to finish, I just want to turn our eyes outwards. Because we've seen these two glorious realities about Christ's church, who he includes, the gloriously unexpected, and how he does it gloriously fully. And, and as we've gone along, we've been, we've been thinking about how those, in, those two wonderful truths touch on us as they kind of impact us as individuals. But to finish, I want us just to think bigger. Because just notice how this psalm finishes. It says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. There's this outpouring of joy to finish the psalm. As God's people look on what God is doing with the church, as they gaze at where he's taking her, how he's going to finish her, they pour out their hearts in praise. They dance and they sing for joy. As, 
as you think about the church of God, who we are, who we're going to become, does it lift your heart in joy? When you think of the, the great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, do you want to sing and dance saying, all my springs are in you? God is building his church with the gloriously unexpected. He, and he does it fully. And we, and we love the fact that that includes me. We love the gospel reaching me. But do we love the grander vision, us? May our hearts love the truth that the gospel is for others too. May we love the truth that God loves to include people who are very different from me. He includes people with different backgrounds to you, different cultures, different initial values and ways of doing things. Now, before we were in heaven together around the throne, that presents challenges. It means we have to listen to each other, to work through disagreements, to be sensitive to other people and their paths and experiences. But it's also glorious. Christ is bringing together people from every walk of life. And here in church, we get to experience a glimpse of that. To enjoy that, to learn, to talk, to share, to experience together. And there's no hierarchy. Every member of Christ's people have the same birth certificate, born in Zion. Just on the small scale, after church, just try and talk to someone you wouldn't normally talk to. And if you're a student, don't talk to another student. Chat to someone else. If you're in your 30s, try to talk to someone who isn't. If you're from Scotland, meet someone who isn't. But then let's think even bigger than that. Do we long to see the gospel go out to all kinds and different kinds of people? Do we want it to reach all kinds of people in Aberdeen, in Scotland? Do we want to see Christ Church grow across the world? Are you praying for the nations, for unreached people groups? Are you considering becoming a missionary to those who've never heard of Christ? Why? So they might also be given a new birth certificate. Born in Zion. It's a glorious vision God has for us. He's building his church, a glorious church. A, a church that is fitting only for the Son of God. A bride that is made up of enemies. Showered with his grace and love. Covered in mercy and given new birth. Royal robes. A place of glory where in Zion, in Jesus' city, where one day when he returns, we're going to be worshipping around the throne, praising, singing, dancing of God's love for his church. Amen.